Hello everybody, welcome to the Juan Gaut Show. Today we have Katie Ananina. She is a pretty well-known sort of Bitcoin maxi influencer. She's an entrepreneur. She is the lead of Plan B Passports, which helps people probably like you figure out how to get a second passport if you're an American or wherever you may be, how to get access to a second passport. Very cool stuff. Uh, she's also a happy Bitcoin mom, you know, happily married uh, out of Austin. And so today we're going to talk about love, Bitcoin and family. And um, it's more of a lifestyle conversation. I really enjoyed it. Katie is very charming and entertaining and funny. And so you're going to enjoy it too. And, um, you know, what else can there be but love and Bitcoin, you know? Uh, by the way, if you don't have any Bitcoin yet, and if you're a fellow Canadian, you might be interested in Beaver Bitcoin. Beaver Bitcoin is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, you can buy Bitcoin instantly or set up a recurring purchase. You can set it up directly from your bank account. Bitcoin Beaver is non-custodial. It delivers Bitcoin directly to your Bitcoin cold storage wallet, a wallet that you control only, uh, be it on your phone or a hardware wallet device and so on. And it is built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. And it's easy enough that you can recommend to your family and friends. And if you're in Canada, you probably should get your family and friends on Bitcoin because we all know Canada is in trouble right now. So sign up today at BitcoinBeaver.com. And uh, without further ado... Ladies and gentlemen, Katie and Anina. Katie, you're you're here with us. Thank you for joining. Hey, check check one two. How can you hear me? Yes, you're good. Good. Loud and clear. Good to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, where are you uh, joining us from? Austin, Texas. Nice. That's the, like feels like that's one of the hearts of Bitcoin now, eh? Like a, a lot of companies are there. What what's what's uh, Austin, Texas uh, Bitcoin land like? I'm absolutely loving. Austin itself, and I'm loving the community that I'm part of here. Uh, I'm loving my sisterhood, which is uh, something that I've been really longing for. And now I truly have it here, which is really important for me in this that, stage yeah. of life. Um, I also have access to the best food I've ever had here. I have access to all the cool Bitcoin meetups, which I rarely attend these days, to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, we just had Bitblock Boom hosted here just 10 days ago. That was really fun. We hosted our event, Underground Citadel, for the sixth time this this year. And yeah, I'm, I'm hosting some Bitcoiners for dinner tonight for some beef ribs. That's great. And Texas ribs uh, are some of the best I've ever had, for sure. Texan, Texan food is fantastic. Uh, so definitely, definitely jealous on that front. Uh, if you guys can make it, you should definitely try that. Um, all right. This is, um, there's a lot to talk about. I wanted to, I mean, I have a lot of questions for you. I think the the, we should start with the, with the whole passport side of things. This is, uh, one of the main businesses that you've, uh, helped grow in the past few years. And I think one of the reasons people know you very well, um, 
what um what, do you want to tell us a little bit about that let's uh let's let's start with that yeah absolutely a little pre-story so as you can hear from my accent or you can see from my twitter handle i'm i was born and raised in russia i immigrated to the u.s um seven years ago now so going through my own immigration i noticed that sometimes being a non-citizen of a country you live in is beneficial while also i noticed that just having a second driver license or um getting being able to get a bank account without social security number all these benefits out there just because i have a second passport and just because i'm not a citizen of this country or i have another citizenship so through this like it's a small scale game of jurisdictional arbitrage that i stubbed upon just simply through my own experience and as i started digging deeper into that i realized there is this whole industry of investment migration and this is this is what i do these days i help bitcoiners all over the world to obtain a second passport or a residency for their benefits either through investment or through some some other immigration policies programs that are out there um so yeah i'm a ceo and founder of planbpassport.com um and that's what we do that's very cool um what uh what countries do you think are let's say the most interesting today for a bitcoiner that's you know looking to exit the fiat lifestyle opt out of the fiat lifestyle and maybe i don't know start a family or move their family to it uh or you know because it's always good to have you know the thesis here is good to have a second passport in case something terrible happens or in, in case you know the the powers that be decide to sink your you know the one country you're in you have another option um how do you how do you think about that and what are, what are some countries that are on your radar right now Absolutely. Well, first of all, there are two different scenarios that I see within my clientele. There are people who are really willing to relocate. They're looking for a better country for their family, for their lifestyle, for the tax regime, um, the the climate, etc. And there is a second scenario where my clients don't want to relocate and they're simply looking for a hedge against their home country government. They're looking for a true plan B passport just like an insurance policy right so those are two completely different scenarios and the framework of understanding which jurisdiction is the best will be very different in these two scenarios now on top of it when you building your jurisdictional arbitrage strategy um you first need to look where is the client is coming from i i'd say around 50% of my clients are still from the united states so that's um that's very simple case but also some people are coming from european countries and then the logic of understanding which jurisdiction is going to be the best is a little different and then depending on your family count so is it just you is it you with six kids just the price is going to be really different between jurisdiction based on um, your family composition so basically how it works is the client comes to me and we have this first call that we spend 30 minutes just understanding what are your needs and goals are at the moment what is your current situation when do you want to execute what's your timeline um what's your capital allocation for this program would would look like and then together we strategize on what jurisdiction would be the best now if i want to simplify it all and just tell you these are the most popular jurisdictions right now um if we're talking about citizenship by investment program meaning that in a matter of 6 to 12 months you getting a citizenship aka you get a passport 
you don't have to relocate to this country. You just simply either purchase real estate or donate money into government's fund or you purchase bonds from the country. Then currently, and I'm talking for about this month, two months ago, it would, my answer would be different. Right now, it's definitely Antigua and Barbuda. Um, pretty good jurisdiction. They're moving fast these days. Um, St. Kitts recently raised the price, doubled the price, actually. Um, so this month, it's Antigua. It's, probably it will change in the next two months again, just because the industry is overcoming huge, significant changes, and I'll touch on that later. Now, if we're talking about relocation scenario, those are definitely going towards Latin America and uh, UIE. Um, UIE is basically interesting for digital nomads, entrepreneurial type uh, who run their business online, want the community, want the, the lifestyle and Lambos. That's UIE. And then if you're relocating the whole family, Latin America is the winner right now. Uh, I'm still a huge fan of Mexico. I truly love the country. I think there are a lot of um, great cities for a cool lifestyle. And then, of course, Costa Rica and um, and El Salvador. El Salvador, simply because of the values of the country, the way they stand against the WEF agenda. And Costa Rica is just a Bitcoin jungle, big community, cool lifestyle. Um, those are basically currently the winners. That's really interesting. Um, given the the situation in Argentina, which uh, I'm sure you've heard about, you know, we have a uh, anarcho-capitalist, explicitly anarcho-capitalist uh, presidential candidate with very good chances of winning, Mr. Javier Milei, uh, who's talking about uh, basically deleting the central bank and dollarizing the country and opening up the country to currency competition. Um, is Argentina suddenly becoming um, a country that you guys are looking at? So I, I got to say that it's a little controversial to have an ANCAP running for president. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you understand me here. Um, well, Argentina is interesting. And I see a lot of um, actually what's happening in Argentina right now is a lot of birth tourism. People go have babies in Argentina to get a citizenship there. Um, so in this regard, this country has been popping up a lot. We'll see. Honestly, we'll see what's actually taking place. Um, when El Salvador announced uh, legal tender two years ago, half of us were very happy. Half of us did not believe it was going to happen. And we also see that it's it doesn't take place overnight. So I always say, let's see. They have good beef. They have good climate. Um, let's see how it actually turns out. It'll be interesting to watch. But um, in all of Latin America, they do have a lot of easy, very simple immigration policies for those um, who make money in U.S. dollars, right? Because all of them just want capital to be flowing into the country. That's that's the whole point of this immigration policy is they want more foreign capital to be flowing into their nation. So countries like Brazil, Argentina, they're very easy to get uh, a digital nomad visa from. All you have to do is prove a few grand of, um, of salary monthly or proof a couple dozen thousand dollars in your bank account and you're welcome for a year to stay mm -hmm. so um yeah definitely definitely there's interest towards argentina just not as much as costa rica el salvador and mexico right now right yeah el salvador is pretty high we did a, a podcast with 
uh, escaped to El Salvador, which is another company that's helping people sort of migrate to El Salvador. And it was very popular. Um, what are your thoughts on El Salvador these days? Uh, obviously, it's been, again, we talk about the adoption of El Salvador and actual usage of Bitcoin is not what, let's say, we all would like it to be, but obviously we've been going through a bear market, but it seems adoption is, uh, like brand awareness of Bitcoin is pretty much, uh, you know, close to 100%. And uh, there's a lot of Bitcoiners that have moved there. And according to Max Kaiser and them, there's a lot of Bitcoiners that have moved there. Um, what can you tell us about El Salvador? What are you seeing uh, from that perspective? It's true. I personally know a lot of friends who either move to El Salvador or go there visit quite often, two, three times a year for a long period of time. Now, um, I probably shouldn't talk about El Salvador and Bitcoin because you guys can cover it way better. Now, if I'm talking at, if I'm looking at El Salvador from the point of my expertise, which is investment migration, I think El Salvador is sitting on a gold mine and not doing anything with that. Um, I ran a poll within my email campaign uh, list and I asked them, how would they want to see El Salvador coming up with a citizenship by investment program? How much money would would they be willing to pay for this passport if it was straight to citizenship program instead of of residency like um, Escape to El Salvador currently doing? And over 600 families basically filled up my application saying that they're willing to pay 150 grand for this passport right now. And they're saying like 30% of them would want to do it in Bitcoin, 30% would want to do it in fiat, 30% would want to do it in um, in like stable coin of some kind. They also would prefer El Salvador towards even Caribbean nations who had citizenship by investment program for decades now, very popular programs. So basically I ran the numbers and I came out with a very comprehensive proposal for El Salvador on how they should implement this program. And um, I ran the numbers and it would be like 12% of El Salvador's GDP annually that they could make out of this program. Like, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a wild guess on my, on my end, but I think quite educated guests. And um, I don't know if you've seen this article, but president of El Salvador actually tweeted out this article of mine. And I like, there were a lot of conversation around it. Now I understand why they still don't have this program. First of all, the country is overgoing through like huge amount of changes, reforms taking place and maybe immigration policy is just not first on the list. And second, they already have to withstand a lot of pressure from EU and the rest of the world overall. You see them in the news being painted as a bad guy every now and then, quite often, actually. So them coming out with citizenship by investment program would just piss off a lot of governments out there, especially those that they have visa-free treaty with, which also their passport is quite powerful. They have visa-free entrance to like 100 40 countries, I believe, maybe 120. So it's it's a pretty good passport. So I think they're just willing to take their time with programs like that because they just don't want any more pressure from um, from quote unquote powerful nations. Gotcha. I'm I'm, I'm kind of shocked that the Salvadorian passport is that good. You know, like uh, a few years ago, I would have thought I never thought I'd ever go to El Salvador. I never <laughs> thought El Salvador would ever be sort of an interesting like it was never interesting to me and it's not anything personal to Salvadorians it's just I always heard it was very dangerous and chaotic 
Um, and so to hear that it, it now has such great access to the world is fascinating. And now I, I look at it and I'm very, very interested in moving there. I, I went there last year and got to see the country uh, a little bit. There's a lot to see. And um, it's it's a great country. I mean, it's a little bit expensive. It's it's close to American prices, but um, but it's growing fast and it's got a lot of potential. So um, I could see myself just migrating there and and and. and and setting up shop, you know, um, sure. I, I'm confused though. Cause, uh, wasn't there the, the whole point of El Salvador sort of Bitcoin adoption that you could, that you could buy your citizenship with, uh, what was it like two or three Bitcoin? Uh, so how is that different than what you proposed? So first of all, this program is not life. It doesn't exist right now. They, when they announced Volcano bonds, if you see this famous picture at the very end of the slide, there was a uh, residency, um, of El Salvador for three Bitcoin. And uh, now the thing is, this program never took place. There is no residency for Bitcoin yet. Um, and you shouldn't mix up residency and citizenship. Those are very different things. And let me clarify. So citizenship and passport come together. You becoming a full rights citizen of the country. You also get a travel document. Passport is a travel document that can take you other places. Now, residency only allows you to live in a country, sometimes work in a country. You have somewhat close rights to a citizen. Obviously, you can vote, which is, oh my God, <laughs> how sad. But it's not a travel document. So when we're talking about a true plan B passport, only a passport can take this place. A residency is just a good route for escape, but you can only escape to this particular country. And it's like a, a bug, out, bug out real estate, but bug out country for you. But you can't utilize this document as an escape route if, let's say, there is a civil unrest in your country and they say you are supposed to go fight for your country now and you can't leave because you're a citizen. So... Um, those two are very different. And getting a residency in Latin America costs nothing, costs a couple grand um, in basically every country in Latin America. So three Bitcoin for, for residency makes zero sense to me, especially now when El Salvador has digital nomad visa, as long as you can prove like $1,200 $1, of salary monthly, that's the requirements right now. So now citizenship program, never been never been really discussed and never been um yeah never been ne never never took place and that's what i've been mostly talking about like citizenship is the program that that bitcoiners want they don't necessarily want to relocate to el salvador just yet however they do want to support the country they do want to be part of the um, the reforms that are taking place down there and they do want to have a second passport um, as a hedge against their, let's say, U.S. government. Okay, that's fascinating. That 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 makes sense. I mean, I always assumed that if you pay three Bitcoin, you get you get citizenship. I guess I just you know I misread that because yeah, I mean, that it's actually just residency, which you're right. It does. It's not that it's not that great of a deal uh, actually. So um, that's uh, that's wild. Um, can you uh, expand a little bit because that, that's really interesting. The idea that other countries would be really upset if, if El Salvador implemented uh, citizenship uh, purchase programs. I mean, I understand what they, why they might not want to do it from a uh, sovereignty perspective. I think they're, they're very careful to make sure that it is only their citizens that can vote and that can have a, 
a pol political impact in the country, given, you know, I guess, migration questions and foreign nations trying to mess with their politics. But uh, why do other countries care if they're selling citizenships? Yeah, we actually have, have a great story that just took place two months ago. Um, Europe Union had a big meeting in Brussels talking specifically about citizenship by investment programs. And they ended up coming out with a list of requirements they have for citizenship by investment programs all over the world. They actually required Caribbean islands to raise the price. And hence, while, while saying kids without any heads up, just double their price for citizenship by investment program for both donation and real estate investment. They also required the due diligence process to be changed. They required the passport of applicants to be picked up in person by the client itself, by the applicant itself. Um, they also required an interview to be held between Citizenship by Investment Unit and the applicant. So there, there's like a whole list of requirements that EU now force upon citizenship by investment units of the world, no matter what countries. And the main reason they want to do, well, that's what they say, is that we have a visa-free treaty with you, meaning that once anybody becomes a citizen of your country, they can come travel to our countries visa-free, right? Because Caribbeans have visa-free access to the EU. Therefore, they want to make sure that those visitors are legit. They went through a good due diligence process, and they also want to see the price being higher because... Like the, the entry point needs to be higher in their in their eyes. So that's why we saw we, we, we see this huge changes taking place in the industry, saying kids doubling the price, Antigua saying that they probably will do the same exact thing in a in a few months. And that's why we have such a big um influx of clients running towards Antigua right now because very powerful passport, hundred fifty one country visa free, and you can get a passport for the whole family and uh, at, at around $200,000. And if they raise the price to the same requirements that EU asked for, it's going to be three fifty dollars or so. So um, that's what we're seeing with Caribbean islands. The same we're going to see with El Salvador, basically. Yeah, that's fascinating. It sounds like, sounds like the EU is, A, terrified of the brain drain that could happen if people realize they could just go live in the Caribbean and get a second passport and have pretty much the same access to the world as they already have uh, with a second option. It, it also sounds like it sounds like they're using this visa program as leverage. Basically, like if you don't play ball with us, we'll cut off your visa program. And, For sure. Uh, yeah. And the fun thing is the EU is coming out with those requirements, which I'm like, at this point, EU has so little power in the world. And it's almost ridiculous that they think they still have this this weight in the geopolitical arena, but apparently they do. I don't. I don't think it's it's a long time that they have left. But um, as of now, they still have some leverage. Now the U.S. is kind of protected from the the flow out of the capital because you know United States is one of the two countries in the world that has citizenship based taxation, meaning that those American citizens who get a citizenship of El Salvador still will have to file with Uncle Sam, while EU citizens have much easier way out. So let's say as an EU citizen, there are some exceptions. Uh, as an EU citizen, you get a second passport of the Caribbean island. You actually leave your country of, like your, your, your country of birth. You become a non-tax resident of your country. 
and you're no longer paying taxes there. So see, the EU has this, um, I mean, residency-based taxation, meaning that you can become a non-resident and leave. And maybe that's, I mean, obviously that's another thing they don't like people realizing that they're not willing to pay for European governments anymore. Yeah, they want to keep their, their tax cattle nice and tight with a big fat fence all around it. And that means they got to gotta get, get other farms to not just open the gates, right? Yep. Um, yeah, and this obviously plays into like the big sort of uh, global government agenda. They want everybody, uh, they want to limit people's ability to leave and move and migrate. Yeah, they um, want a monopoly over you. If you're born in a country, um, you're only citizen of one country, you never got a residency anywhere else, they have a true monopoly on you. There is no competition uh, of, gov- of governments that you can like shop around for. Right. Once you start playing the game of jurisdiction arbitrage, you now have a couple of quote unquote service providers, governments that you can utilize for whatever needs you, you have, which I don't have much needs for government at all. But, you know, that's that's the, the world we're living in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So once you once you start playing this game of flag theory, you basically shop around jurisdictions and that creates a free market between nation states and they're not willing to compete. When you have monopoly, you can there is there's nobody who sets the price for you. When you have a free market, there is there are always two driving factors, price race to the bottom and quality race to the top. And governments are not willing to to get into this competition, this is a race that they're always going to lose because they're inefficient and they can't have the price go down because they can't cut the cost because they suck at what they do. Um, so, yeah, that's right. the whole sovereign individual thesis uh, from the book we all familiar with. Yeah. Katie, could you, uh, I think you, you maybe have me on speaker, which is okay, but could you mute yourself when, Sure. When, uh, yeah, in between com- topics. Um, also, I guess um, for Americans, it's mostly Americans that listen to us and Europeans, uh, maybe some Latin Americans. But for, for U.S. citizens, what do, you, what do you guys consider the best option or what are, what, are the, what are the hottest options for them specifically? Most of my clients are not willing to relocate outside of the United States. So they're just getting a plan B passport in place. They're getting hedge against the engage against the American government in case we enter some international war, in case there is a civil unrest, or in case there is 6102 on Bitcoin and they just want to get the fuck out. So in this scenario, Caribbean islands are pretty good as well as Turkey. Um, you'll be surprised. Turkey is really good citizenship by investment program, in my opinion, simply because they're on the other side of political spectrum. So yes, internally countries going through shit show, political shit show, hybrid inflation, but because they're on the other side of political spectrum, they are interesting for Americans. Um, so Americans have basically three options. Option one, keep paying Uncle Sam and just you know, suck it up. Option two, move to Puerto Rico. And uh, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, but not a state. So you basically, like your capital gains taxes are between zero and 6%. And um, there's even some cuts on income tax as well. But you need to be, you you need to be willing to live in Puerto Rico uh, the majority of your time. And then option three, which is a pretty big step, is to actually renounce the U.S. citizenship, which also comes with a lot of additional 
paying. For example, they're going to audit the last five years of your taxes. If you decide to renounce your U.S. citizenship, um, there's gonna, also going to be a big process to go through. You have to renounce from outside of the U.S., meaning that you already have to have a second passport because you can't stay passportless when you renounce your U.S. citizenship. So that's basically the, the options for Americans. Wow. Yeah, I had a... I've had a couple of friends that have given up their U.S. passport, and uh, yeah, it sounds like a total nightmare. Um, but uh, okay, great. So, I mean, at least there's some options. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're interested in exploring these options, definitely check out Katie the Russian uh, and uh, Plan B Passport. Uh, they're on Twitter, planbpassport.com, and uh, they'll be able to to help you out with that. Um, now let, let's shift gears a little bit. I, I want to talk about not just not just exiting the fiat, you know, plantation, you know, but like also the fiat lifestyle. And I guess I'm curious, you know, when, when I think about the fiat lifestyle, I think, you know, nine to five work on a cubicle, very long commutes, boring uh, grunt work and high carb diets and like, you know, no family life, no children and like a Tinder uh, romantic lifestyle, which is terribly depressing. Um, what do you, what do you think of when I, when you hear, uh, the fiat lifestyle? Definitely a complete gap between what you want for your life and what you have in your life. Just a, a little miserable moment in your life or just, I mean, I'm, I'm really outside of fiat bubble these days. Uh, all my friends are Bitcoiners. So I, I barely see that, but once in a while I'll accidentally run into the the fiat culture and I'm getting absolutely mind blown by what's going on there and how, I mean, it's a lot of suffering. It's honestly very sad and uh, I wish people didn't have to leave sad lives. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely lack of health, lack of uh, values and lack of ability to prioritize the right thing. Um, and always the the high time preference, right? The instant gratification over anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And w- one of the things that that you've done that I found really interesting was this this workshop that you were hosting at at various conferences. I'm, I'm blanking out on the name right now, but uh, could you remind me the name and then maybe tell us uh, about some of the topics that you guys handled? Because I, I was I attended one of them in Miami, and it was just cutting edge, super cool stuff. Yeah, basically four years ago when COVID just started, I was seeking for this conference that would bring together all the rabbit holes that I was into at the time. So like at the time, it was definitely um, alternative medical approach. It was 3D printing for guns, like homesteading, uh, home birth, unschooling. And I was in a very different stage of life, but I was really curious about all these topics. So when I didn't find this conference, I decided to throw a free meetup the day before Bitblockboom conference in Dallas. And it took place in the midst of COVID. I mean, we're talking about August 2020, I guess, when I hosted this very first theundergroundcitadel.com. You can actually check it out. We just hosted our sixth one in Austin. And this year, uh, we talked about home defense and family safety in terms of how do you set up your house the way that you feel confident and uh, you can prevent some stupid attack vectors like robbery or some homeless people running into your house, 
to hurt you and your family. We also talk about preventing, not preventing, but setting your house up the way that like, if you have a SWAT, a SWAT uh, coming into your house, that you just want to show them that you have a family and, um, and like maybe prevent some certain action that they would normally take. So we talked about a lot of house home defense. Then we talked about digital security, things like sonography and dead drops, which was really interesting, um, but I'm not going to be able to comment on this much. And then we had a really cool homesteading uh, couple talking about how they live off of their farm fully. Um, they don't have any anything coming from the out of the world. Everything that they produce on the farm feeds the farm, feeds the animals on the farm, which was really cool. Then again, we talked about alternative medical approach and how we can stay out of this absolute fiat disaster of a medical system United States has with their insurance companies running the show, big pharma running the show, and how a relatively healthy person absolutely has nothing to do with this world and shouldn't shouldn't enter this world whatsoever. Um, we talked about like raising next generation and the priorities, the framework on how you prioritize values for your family. And then we went into my favorite topics, which is home birth, homeschooling, and alternative college education. So it's like all the rabbit holes that Bitcoiners are already into, but um, like we already agree on all of that, but it's not necessarily the center of our conversation. So that's like, all the things outside of Bitcoin that we want to talk about once, once in a while. Yeah, and the theme of this of this conversation was opt out of fiat, but really it was um, let, the exploration of the Bitcoin dream life. You know, as as a as a as a kind of renovation of the American dream. Right? We have, you know, obviously the American dream is something that still pulls you know millions of people. Uh, from around the world to you know try to come to the United States or try to build it build it in their home nations. It's a, it's a cultural sort of soft power, a cultural uh, movement that's much bigger than the United States right now. But I think um, given the world that we live in, given the digitization of everything, and given the, the sort of surveillance states that are uh, being erected all around us, uh, the Bitcoin dream life is um, is very much. I think what people really care about, right? Like, yes, you get into Bitcoin because you want to make more money, right? And you want to escape fiat and you want to escape inflation and you want to have money that you control. Maybe you're afraid about of CBDCs. Maybe you're afraid of what uh, these sort of government structures, uh, financial government structures can do to you if you are a dissident or if you have political opinions that, uh, you know, Mao would disapprove of because, you know, if you're to the right of Mao, you're a fascist, right? And um, and so building this sort of bottom-up kind of well-secured, almost sovereign lifestyle that that is independent from these, these systems that are very clearly failing, right? Not just the justice system and the medical system, which is brutal, not just in the United States, but pretty much all over the world is quite, you know, there's some places that are much better than others, but uh, still it's like medicine all over the world is still a bit of a meat grinder uh and very bureaucratic and so um yeah this is this lifestyle is i think i think something we need to kind of clarify and 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 be more specific about um on the health front you know i think if i was going to if i was going to categorize 
the most important things in life. I would say mental health and spiritual health goes first, then physical health, you know, and then it goes financial health, right? And um, let I think, you know, let, let's talk about physical health a little bit. You you have uh, a background as a, as a pro athlete. Uh, when I met you, you had actually just, Basically, you were just exiting the uh, life as a as a uh, as a as a sports sales s- sailor. I don't know what the right terms are, but tell us a little bit about that that past life of yours, where you were pro pro athlete uh, sailing sailing the world uh, at high speeds. Yeah, absolutely. So growing up in Russia, I some in Siberia specifically, I somehow got into sailing, which is funny because the lake in my hometown was frozen for eight months out of the year. Um, but at the age of 11, I got into national team within junior team. And then I just kept going. And by the, by the age of 16, I was on the adult national team. And that's how I immigrated to the United States because I was a professional athlete and top 20 in the world ranking. So they just gave me a residency here in the U S so I can compete for America. Um, and yeah, that definitely gave me a little, intro into the medical system and the way you kind of take more of a sovereign approach towards your health. I was getting my blood work done every six months as a teenager. And then later in life, I realized that's actually what gives me a pretty good input on my, on my health. So I started doing it again for the last four years. I've been doing my blood work every six months, very extensive blood work. Um, and that gives me a good understanding of where I currently stand. Um, now, what I want to say between what I want to say about American medical system specifically, they're really good at saving you from dying. Like if you have <laughs> severe sickness, if you are at the verge of, you know, meeting your death, they probably are able to save you better than anybody in the world. Pretty good surgeons, pretty good um like heart cancer treatments, etc. But there's zero preventative medicine. And as Bitcoiners, we really like to take control of our own life and prioritize tomorrow versus today, right? We talk about low time preference a lot. And when it comes to health, that that must be the approach. The low time preference is the only way because if you get drunk every day, you're probably gonna you're gonna feel shitty um later in life but if you prioritize today you work out you eat healthy and you invest this effort into your future your life is going to be better right so this preventative approach does not exist in the united states people only get treated when they're sick and if you try to go to the doctor and like let's say you have not not a perfect gut health and you want to get better at it like they will give you absolutely nothing. They have no idea how to treat not a perfectly healthy person. They only treat very unhealthy people. So I got into this um, alternative medical approach called functional medicine. Here in the U.S., it's known as functional or integrative medicine. And that's what I've been really digging into for the last four years, I'd say. And even before that, um, just, you know, I got into Bitcoin and I started eating way more meat and I have my own personal story of healing um, and, you know, healing my fertility, making sure that I'm able to become a mother, which was not always in the cards for me based on what my doctors told me like six years ago. So this healing journey 
was really cool and empowering. And I keep talking about functional medicine to everybody. And mostly, I mean, you, you mentioned how mental health goes before physical health. I say they're so incredibly connected. Like uh, the people with uh, depression always have vitamin D deficiency. Like it's, it's almost given. So like those blood work that I get done for my functional medicine journey gives me a really good understanding of what's going on with my mental health too and how I can help with that. Uh, there's also great connection between your gut health and mental health. Um, it's it, it all goes hand in hand. So yeah, definitely invest effort. Um, like go down this rabbit hole, understand how your body works, have a better hang on, on of your body, just day to day living, understanding what your body feels and how it reacts on certain foods and how it reacts on certain um, decisions in life. Um, and yeah, that's, that's very empowering. I, I love, I, I love my journey in this regard. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, from my years in psychology, there, there was a past life where I wanted to be a, a talk therapist. So I studied psychology pretty, pretty deeply. And, uh, one of the things that I'll never forget is that about 50% of the time, if you were depressed, and you go out and do some workout and get some sunlight and you start doing that more, you'll exit depression. This is like a known statistic. Like half of the time, that's how you get out of depression. Just work out and, and get more sunlight. And, uh, and, you know, and then add to that better nutrition and your mind will, will work its way through whatever is making you feel down. Right. So, uh, yeah, the, your body is your temple and there's a very, very, uh, tight connection there now everybody uh pump the show we're gonna enter the the next phase of this conversation now so pump the show and uh also we have um we're gonna be going to unconfiscatable with bitcoinnews.com this december uh confiscatable is a bitcoin maximalist conference happening in las vegas and uh, i've been there a few times it's a pinned tweet on the on the on the nest right now where I kind of talk about one of my experiences. I met Adam back and Peter Todd there and they signed two fiat bills. I think it was a Zimbabwe bill and a Bolivar bill. And they both signed them with the, with the name Adam back. Uh, so <laughs> go figure out which one's Adam backs, Adam back signature, which one's Peter Todd's Adam back signature. Um, also got to play poker and pinball and arcade with a bunch of Bitcoin maximalists. Uh, it was uh, super fun. One of the members of the conferences experience because you know it's always like very techy and very like heady but actually hanging out with with your gang right with your tribe that's that's another level of experience also we get to play poker so go you know if you can if you can make it to las vegas this december you're gonna want to check that out i got a 10 percent discount code for you guys uh galt 10 that's g-a-l-t 10 so uh yeah you save some money there and get to spend some time with some cool bitcoiners very very kind of like cream of the crop, small Bitcoin conference. It's going to fill up quick. So you want to, you want to make sure you get those tickets and, and also get a hotel and so on. They have a pretty good hotel. Uh, I think at the same place as the conference. So you want to check that out. Um, let, let, let's dive back into, into health a little bit. Um, you know, what, one of the, one of the aspects of, of, I think um, this, the, the Bitcoin dream life is family, right? Family life. And, you know, I think um, that there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of men that are into Bitcoin, a lot of men that listen to these kind of conversations, and uh, there's this, this sort of question of love and romance and family is kind of very complicated. But 
once you do get to that point, once you do get to that question, okay, I want to start a family, we, you know, we're married or we have a good partnership and we want to have some kids, there's this whole question of, okay, how do you have kids outside of the fiat world, right? Because the fiat lifestyle of having kids is like, you know, um, you're, you're going to end up in a hospital in this sort of uh, very uncomfortable, almost alien environment. You know, the diet that they recommend is probably not what uh, a Bitcoin maximalist or a Bitcoin carnivore is going to be interested in. Um, and there's this whole new alternative, let's say, pregnancy path, right, with like doulas and water birth and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, you're you're now happily married. You have a baby, which I want to congratulate both you guys on. That's that's super cool. Um, and and you, I mean, as far as I can tell, you crushed that pregnancy. So please, uh, let's fast forward, you know, into into uh, family life, Katie, the Russian. And how did you how did you navigate that as a as a off the grid Bitcoin maximalist. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely the most favorite topic of mine these days. I'm lo no longer as obsessed about Bitcoin as I was, let's say, four years ago. Now all I want to talk about um, having kids and being pregnant and doing the natural birth stuff. So happy to dive into that. So in terms of having children in the fiat world, man, that must be really difficult. First of all, they lack discipline. When you lack discipline, you probably have a shitty diet throughout your pregnancy. You gain a lot of weight. Um, then, you know, you, you don't have enough discipline to sleep when it's time, to eat when it's time, to feed your baby right. So you try to find shortcuts on how to put your baby to sleep in a way that really doesn't benefit neither your um neural system neither baby's neural neural system so now you have a baby that doesn't sleep at night that can never go to bed by himself or herself so you like you really making those choices that again make your life so much more difficult and then you realize breastfeeding is really hard so you give the baby formula completely wreck baby's um gut health it's it must be really hard to to be a parent in the fiat world. Now, for me, it was an absolute blessing. It is an absolute blessing. And I am currently expecting my child number two. Just um, just got into my second trimester. So loving it. Absolutely. Again. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, the same principles you apply towards your pregnancy. The same principles you apply towards your birth. And it might sound like a lot of work at the time because, again, you have to go deep down the rabbit hole to get to the bottom of truth. But then it makes your life so much easier in the long run. Um, you realize that breastfeeding is the easiest thing you can do. It's best for both you physically and and mentally and the best for baby physically and mentally. And it makes your life, I mean, so much easier, seriously. And then good diet also makes long-term um, difference on your baby's health again. So my baby never had teething issues, like never cried throughout having teeth, never had any kind of like, again, gut health issues, no colics, nothing. Maybe I got lucky. We'll see as I have more kids. Uh, I'll, I'll see. Maybe, maybe I speak too soon. But with my first child, everything was really easy. Um, 
Now, I did make some mistakes in my first pregnancy, for sure, which I'm trying to stay away from my second pregnancy. Uh, I was still a little much of a maximalist and uh, overdid CrossFit one day, clearly overdid CrossFit one day. And I believe it put me in a little of an early labor, which I expected it to be like three weeks later. But, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Um, okay, first of all, congratulations on the second baby. I thought I'd heard about it, but I wasn't sure. Uh, and so congratulations to you and your husband on that. Um, totally jealous. I want to have three or four Bitcoin babies running around and working on that. But uh, that's uh, that's super cool. I think it's highly underrated. This is to me, this is part of the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin dream. For sure. I know. Absolutely. For sure. Now, if you talk about the medical system when it comes to childbirth, there's truly fiat system of childbirth where they believe that the mother should feel no pain during during labor they give her epidural which basically completely evaporates any of body's ability to have a hormonal response right so pain is a natural thing for our body to send a signal for hormones to step into place for the mother to start moving based on what she feels move her hips around And now imagine you have this epidural um, hitting your spine and now you can't feel anything from your ribs down. You don't understand where baby currently is. What is going on? Is it time to push or not? And we already know for sure that it's causing like higher tearing for women. It's causing longer labor. Like a lot of complications come from that. Then we have an extremely high rate of C-section taking place these days. Again, because of the same practices, we start inducing labor. Like That's a very common thing in American hospitals. They induce labor. They think that if women didn't give birth by 40 weeks, something is going wrong and we're going to play God because nature doesn't know what, it, what it's supposed to do. So we're going to induce labor, which woman's body clearly not ready for it yet. Um, so, I mean, okay, I'm, maybe I'm going too far with, with all of that. Well, I mean, I do find it amazing that that throughout pretty much all of history and throughout all of nature, we see uh, animals give birth, basically standing up, and then the baby just kind of plops down. You know, that's like pretty much how it works in any other realm except like modern medical systems where they lay you down and you don't have you don't have gravity helping you. You don't have the same kind of ability to use your muscles, right? So I'm a big fan of water birth from that perspective. Obviously, uh, death rates and like uh, complications during birth were much higher back in the day. But I, I think you're right that you know this epidural and a lot of these the practices that are standardized today are are questionable. You know, like my, my mother has back problems, and uh, we've been able to kind of track that to probably the epidural because you know they got they got a back in the day anyway they had to like inject you in your spine. You know this this thing that just basically makes you numb and she had a very long labor so um yeah i i think i think we can definitely improve on that and i'm you know my one of my cousins is a doula and so she she talks a lot about this kind of stuff so i think there is like that alternative path that's more natural has definitely matured enough and i think it's definitely something people should uh you know dig into if uh if that's uh, the stage in life they're in um so i don't think you're going too far yeah, if I had to summarize, just so, just so I don't go down the rabbit hole completely, um, like 
Modern birth techniques that are like interventions are very good because they saved a lot of lives, but we clearly overuse them. Just like we do with like antibiotics was maybe a great invention. We completely abuse it. We overuse it for all kinds of things that we shouldn't be using it for. And the same goes goes for intervention in childbirth. C-section saved, saved lots of lives, but at the same time, it is now used on all kinds of women who shouldn't have had the C-section. And C-section actually is linked to like a lot of a lot of side effects that shouldn't have that shouldn't appear neither for child nor for mother. And it's really much much harder for the mother. Um, physically. So vaginal birth is what women recover from in days, truly. And uh, C-section takes like four weeks until you can get off the bed for real and, and walk around. So what I want to say is I'm thankful for the modern medicine that exists. But if if you're a healthy person who invested your efforts and and, and knowledge into becoming more healthy, just Make sure to educate yourself and your spouse um, because this is the way, this is what makes your life much easier in the long run. This is what will allow you to have more children too because with this section you really get um, limited in the amount of children you can potentially have. And like if, if most of us, most of the listeners are now men, I want to make sure that the men must be educated on the childbirth. If like when your woman is in labor, she has absolutely no capacity to advocate for herself. She she has one goal is to get this baby out. She does what her body asks her to. She cannot listen. She cannot comprehend what you're saying or what doctor's saying or what's going on. Your goal is to protect your woman from any external factors that can affect this labor. So you need to be able to know what was her birth plan. What, what kind of intervention they will for sure push on you uh, in the hospital setting. They will lie to you. That's for sure. They always lie. They give you bad statistics. And the biggest thing that they hit you with is, well, there's a, ch- is there's a chance your baby is going to die. And after you hear that, try to advocate for, for yourself. If you're not acknowledged enough, if you don't have a good statistics in your head and you don't know the numbers and you don't know the risks, like, you're just going to opt into whatever the doctor says next. But if you're if you know that you're going to hear that, probably everybody in labor heard it all. It's disgusting truly sometimes. And they push all those interventions on you. You need to be able to protect your woman and your child. So men must be educated on that. The best ways to get educated um is to go to all the prenatal appointments with your woman, but not to the OBGYN, but to midwife. Midwives are where it's at. They give you real knowledge. They give you options. Um, and that that's that's the way to get educated for sure. You can still give birth at the hospital if you want. You just need to have this knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's just next level next level stuff. Um I, I can't I can't imagine having to navigate and, and, and confront all those challenges, right? And I think it's it's one of the th- those things that really, I think, strengthen people and, and mature them if if they manage to survive it, which, you know, we're built for this. We can get it done. It's just like, it's almost like so foreign if you haven't had, had kids to sort of go through that. So, um, but um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, and, and the, this doula and sort of midwife path, you know, they're very prepared. Like the midwives that I've talked to, like they're, they're very prepared. They're like they ha- they set up environment A, but if complications arise, they have 
plan B set up, you know, like they have a, um, an emergency vehicle on call, just get ready, ready to sort of take you to a hospital for emergency, uh, um, uh, delivery and such. So, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, well, from what I've seen, it's very, it's a very mature process at this point and it's sort of growing, but, um, let, let's tell us about like the, the diet side of things. Cause you know, I know that you've been a carnivore for a long time. Um, let me, how did let, you navigate that? Let like, me correct that I'm not carnivore. I'm animal okay. based. I actually, okay. especially now in pregnancy, I eat a lot of berries and some fruit. Um, I eat some greens as well. Um, I don't limit my diet, honestly, these days very much, but the majority of it is very much animal based. Um, and same goes for my child. <laughs> Funny enough, the first food he ever tried was the ribeye bone with some leftover steak on it. And he was just sucking on it when he was like six and a half, seven months old. And that was the first food he ever tried. And then for the next six months, all he was eating was like bison and and beef. <laughs> steak is his favorite food. Absolutely. Um, oh, wow. Now, I just recently weaned him, meaning that I stopped breastfeeding just a month ago when he was 20 months. Um, and now he loves his raw milk. He's kind of obsessed with it these days. So basically the same. I mean, he just eats what we eat, right? Your child is not going to go ask for pizza or hate steak if if he sees that that's what mommy and daddy eat at the dinner table every day. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to like... My child never tried all those things that he shouldn't be eating because they're never around. They're not in the house. They're not in the pantry. So how would he find out that those are cool things to eat? So it, a lot of a lot of it about child's diet and child education is about leading by example. And there's it's not science fiction. If you set up your life the way that you're not ashamed of it, that your child will just follow the same footsteps. Oh man! Imagine that the first meal you ever have is a ribeye. This kid is going to be such a chat. It's you know, it's going to be crazy. Six feet tall, shredded. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly hope so. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, very cool. No, I th- I love this topic. You know, I know it's like not exactly uh, what uh, Bitcoin Twitter is necessarily into all the time, but uh, I I think this is really interesting stuff. Um, what about let's see yeah i think we've covered the the whole parenting side of things pretty well um i want to ask you okay i have another question for you but is there anything else you think it's it's important or you know we've kind of covered it i didn't get to this point in life just yet but the homeschooling is the next big topic for sure when it comes to non fiat family especially with what's going on in the U.S., I mean, I don't even mention Canada. Things are gone there. Um, but yeah, how schooling is really not benefiting your kids. Um, and if you want to opt out of this fiat system, you will need to figure out the way to do that. Um, yeah, that's it, probably. Yeah, homeschooling is a whole other dimension. And maybe we can talk about that uh, in a future show and, and bring in some experts on that on that front. Because yeah, it's it's also something that I... I'm very interested in, and that's the that's the Bitcoin dream life. I think you know it's 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 sovereignty at all levels, uh, and it has to be practical sovereignty. You know because it's very easy to get completely overwhelmed with 
you know, technicalities and uh, very, very high standards. No, it has to be, it has to be achievable. It has to be something that's sustainable and it has to be practical. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think there's enough, we have enough knowledge and we, the, the communities that are focusing on this stuff are big enough that we can, we can stitch this, this dream life to, uh, together and, uh, and make it work. Um, now, okay. I have to ask you this question because, you know, I don't see, I don't see this question answered or asked enough. Uh, but there's clearly a, a depopulation agenda. There's a demoralization agenda. There, they, all, all the ladies that I talk to, you know, none of them want to have kids, you know, they're, they're somewhere maybe in the future. I don't know. Um, you know, it's scary. There's too many people in the world. You know, we're all going to die anyway. Like, let's, I want to travel, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what girls say these days. And it's like, um, you know, and guys are not much different. Like guys are just like, oh, fucking YOLO, bro. You know? And so why, um, why should people have kids? Yeah, I understand. There's a lot of um, negative negative thoughts coming to people's heads when they think about having children. First, they probably grew up in not a full family. They they saw families being torn apart over different issues. They saw parents fighting, so they don't believe in this true love and uh, and families for life and relationship for life. Then on top of it, they realized how uh, financially difficult it was, and it is even more difficult these days. On a fiat, like on a fiat standard, it's almost impossible to raise kids now. You just you just suffering. Um, so I understand why people may have those thoughts, and also on top of it, we have the whole tap water gay frogs, which is a joke, but half a joke like people's hormonal profile not in the right place therefore they don't want to have kids they the the roles between men and women are very much not distinguished anymore so there are a lot of reasons for that um but again i'm so out of this fiat world like in my tribe everybody's getting married so many people are pregnant right now like i just hosted this baby shower for a friend of mine where it was eight couples all of us already have a toddler. Half of us are currently pregnant. Another half is planning to get pregnant again next year. Uh, all my Bitcoin uh, sisterhood um, girls are also getting pregnant, getting married. So in my tribe, everybody's having kids. There is no depopulation agenda whatsoever. Um, we, are, we are bringing back big families. Um, and that's that's been beautiful. And I don't know. Maybe we just need to talk about being. The thing is, once you become a happy mother, you don't want to talk on the internet anymore. That's why you probably see me on Twitter so much less often. I used to shit post seven times a day. Now I should post once a week because I'm no longer angry at the world. I'm no longer angry at the government because I don't give a shit. I have a beautiful family and that's my focus. And I don't have to try and share it with everybody right so maybe that's our problem yeah that's that's fascinating that makes a lot of sense um and okay so so many ways we could go here i mean i really want to hear about sister brother uh sorry the sisterhood but i think before we get into that maybe, maybe we skip the a step in this conversation which is you know the the love and romance part of it the the finding a partner to 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 actually build this life with is is probably the biggest challenge 
in life in, in a way, right? Or one of the biggest challenges that we face. Um, do you have any tips for men, for Bitcoiners that are, you know, maybe entering that stage in life where they want to they wanna build a family? Um, how, you know, how do they pick a partner? What, you know, what should they what should they do, right? Like, how do you, you maybe, do you have any tips for them? Yeah, you probably heard it a gajillion times when married people tell you when you know, you know. And it's annoying because you don't know at the time. But honestly, it's all about keep it like like turning the switch. You're turning the switch and you're saying, okay, I'm ready. I'm starting a family. I'm like the next person I'm going on a date with is probably going to be my next husband. And you're just going out with this mindset and you're finding this person who is just matching your values in all the in all the things that really matter to you. And you make sure that there is no red flags that truly like y- your partnership really goes through a test when there is a hard thing to do. And you want to make sure that your decision making is based on the same principles and values in this regard. So when I went again, when I was in labor, there were a couple of moments when, I mean, labor is really intense process. So you think there's a couple of moments that it's like, shit hits the fan. Every labor has this moment. And the way we operate, both me and my husband in this moment is exactly the same, which is because our principles and values are matching completely. And we may disagree on small things here and there, um, on our favorite movies and foods, but who cares? Because when she hits the fan, we know what are our priorities. And once you find this person, after that, it's it's very easy. It's a lot about communication and priorities, and that's it. So if you find somebody who matches your values, just make sure you're really willing to put effort into building the foundation of this relationship based on open communication and, you know, giving your thoughts, what you want for this relationship, very clear and communicating what you like and dislike very clear. And uh, that's how you build a beautiful family. And it just gets stronger and stronger over the years. Yeah, you know, this is something that I hear as well that, um, you know, I think there's a quote from a podcast by Lex Freeman and, and another guy whose name I can't remember. And he said something like, if 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 you're at any point in that, if you're like saying, yeah, no, this person's great, you know, like all, all this check marks, check, 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 everything's great, except for this other thing. But I mean, I could probably get over that, right? Like if you're negotiating, the quote was, if you're, if you're, if you're negotiating, it's probably not going to work, right? And I don't know if that's true, but like it, it feels true. It seems like if you're, if, if you're coming into a relationship, think, well, I'm going to either try to change this in them or, I'm going to have to tolerate this. And it's like a, no, a big enough issue that it's bugging you. That's probably not going to work. I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Or, or is it like more like you have to, you know, it's a, it's a, almost like a business partnership. You just gotta, you gotta work through it. Like, how do you think of that? No, I think if you still have a question in your head, either you're willing to negotiate it or not, that goes back to you truly setting up your principles in life and your principles for your for your wife husband and i truly recommend making a list of your principles and values and what you really want from your partnership because we like you know we enter a relationship we talk to people and we kind of know what we want but we never really put it out there on the list to just truly know that what you're willing or not willing to negotiate so 
if you're still maybe, then maybe you should go and review your principles and values. And then with a very true list, go into the world and realize, okay, I'm ready to start a family and those are my non-negotiables. Um, and I'm fine if somebody walks away from me because I require that, but like that's that's my goal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's definitely very important. Um, it's also kind of curious because we're, you know, in this kind of in this space that we're in, we're very heady and we're very intellectual. And like, you know, we have actually really thought about what our values are. We can probably write them and polish them and upgrade them. But, you know, I think it's very easy to to think that that all this stuff, that's all these values, all these internal sort of uh, qualities are the most important but then but then there's also like the physicality right like how how important do you think is you know maybe physical attraction or age or um you know like are those things to me it seems like they're actually very important they're not the whole of it obviously you can you can date somebody that's beautiful and then they're completely bonkers right but like if they do have all your values but you don't like find them that attractive that's not really going to work right well, for me, it was even the the physical thing goes back to my values. So I want my husband to be very healthy, very athletic, um, and that basically makes a beautiful man, honestly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there, there there's not much men outside of this uh, of this circle that are not healthy and not athletic. So for me, it was easy, and I believe it goes for the same for women. Like if you're looking for a, a somewhat traditional woman that. Um, has good hygiene, good habits, um, somewhat athletic, has a good diet that she's probably already like six plus for sure. <laughs> if we go into measurements, which is hilarious. <laughs> right. Okay. Good. Good to hear that. That, uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Like, I think, I think you gotta be very clear and you kind of have to play the numbers, you know, you have to meet a lot of people and, and, and be very, try to be efficient because, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, tricky game we got to play today in the dating world. It's, it's very complex. And anyway, the dating apps are nuts, but that's a, that's a whole other topic. Um, great. So, uh, tell us about this sisterhood. What, what, what is the, the Katie sisterhood? Yeah. Well, the Katie, many of you know, it was basically hanging out with Bitcoiners for years uh, at Bitcoin conferences, but once you enter this next stage of your life when you're pregnant and your your topics of interest really switch, oh, you really want to surround yourself yourself with female energy. You're no longer interested in, you know, hanging out with bros. And when I moved to Austin, I was pregnant and I was like, it's really time for me to invest into invest time and effort into finding this circle of girls that I want to hang out with that I again share my principles with and I actually didn't have to put much effort into that just because I positioned myself right in the right city in the right state in the right community and like a year later I realized that I have absolutely amazing girlfriends with whom I can talk very openly about all the things I believe into and those were mostly like Bitcoiners girls or Bitcoin wives or Bitcoin girlfriends. Um, so those were already kind of predefined red peeled girls. 
But then also Austin just has a really good holistic community. So I ran the, I was going to a chiropractor and they hosted a prenatal postpartum support group. So I randomly decided to pop in and here I am talking to like 10 girls who are pregnant or just had a baby who are talking about how the vaccination in the U.S. is absolutely like a terrible industry. They talk about hospital births and how how wrong and unnatural it seemed to them. And again, so not only Bitcoin girls are willing to discuss those topics. So I found this postpartum support group that now kind of merged into my sisterhood too. So I just have this amazing female community here locally in Austin with whom I, with whom I can go to brunch with, uh, discuss all these topics. And now it's important just because it's good for my mental health. You know, it's good to have friends and tribe and community. But then I also see how we all come together for like hard times and we have this support system. Like somebody had a baby, they need this, um, I'm not sure how it's called, food trail or something. When basically once a day somebody brings you a full meal for the whole family that is home cooked. And that offers amazing postpartum support for the woman. Or somebody's going through hard times and you're willing to support them. And then if we take it further to the next stage, we're going to be all the same parents who are homeschooling into a co-op together. And that, again, is really important to me because um, having like homeschooling your child is takes a lot of discipline and a lot of time and effort. And sometimes sharing this time and effort is really valuable for parents as well as good for the child because she or he has to learn from other adults as well. Again, adults with whom your values are matching and not just adults who are going to push sex ed on them at fourth grade. And then um, they have a community of kids with the same values. So they're not going to, you know, see their Lunchables at, at school and want the Lunchable for, for, as a snack. So those are really important to me right now. And that's, that's the current stage of life um, that, that requires it. I'm absolutely loving it. I think this having your tribe, the community of people you're aligned with is extremely important. One of the most important things uh, for me right now at this at this um, stage of life, and that's why I really value Austin, Texas. Yeah, Austin is super cool. I mean, that's another place that I've I've, I've considered moving to, and I'm I'm probably positioning for that option as well. But um, yeah, okay. So 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 you have this great community that you built, and one of the things that I've heard from girls before is that actually relationships between girls perhaps at a different stage in life are actually very tricky you know like there's jealousy and there's like you know kind of passive aggressive stuff uh, but it sounds like you kind of managed to to you found a way to actually clear all that and you have a good I- ideal or like a like a healthy sort of circle of lady friends what why do you think that's different what a, what um what how did you figure that out I just don't hang out with fiat bitches who don't have principles in their heads. Um, yeah, all the girls in my community know exactly what they want. They they lack, like, they even lack ability to create drama. Uh, they don't want it. They really prioritize their own mental health, too. So they understand that drama doesn't serve nobody. Um so yeah, I, I don't even understand where this jealousy or shame or trying to talk behind each other's back can come from. 
in this stage of life, like that's not what I do. And I attract people who don't do it as well. So, so yeah, it's just fiat bitches. <laughs> yeah, fiat bitches is the problem. That's that that makes perfect sense. That 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 sounds yeah. Um yeah, that's great. And and I really like the idea of like um you know, like the sisterhood is sort of like it sounds to me like like a female environment, right? Like it's a it's a space, you know, or like maybe environments where you, you, the girls hang out and you got you can talk about whatever is important to you. Uh and and it's sort of do you guys have like do you separate like you know like that there's this idea of back in the day where like like men only spaces and women only spaces you know before this era of egalitarianism and you know everybody's the same and nobody has any differences and all the genders are equal and you know uh dudes can play sports in girls competitions and all that jazz right um but before that you you actually did have male only environments and I, I feel like we need it like it like as men like i think i really think we need it and we're we're missing that in, in today's world and like women also had women only environments is that part of the the sisterhood and the and the and the thinking there it doesn't have to be part of like a thought process it's a very natural thing we get together with like all the couples and all the kids like let's say 10 couples with their kids come together for a barbecue and then 15 minutes into the process, you see the clear separation. Women with their cheese board on a couch with kids talking about uh, a home birth. And then men barbecuing together talking about the programming language. Like that's that's the common theme in our in our environment. So it's not necessarily defined in our heads. But yeah, girls do our own things. We sometimes go to like painting class all together. I'm not even going to like bring it up to my husband and invite him to a painting class class he's not gonna do it with us like he has no interest in joining our us um so yeah it's it's just a very natural thing for us yeah i think part of part of this fiat lifestyle is thinking that there's something wrong with having you know occasionally having male-only environments and female-only environments or or male-only conversations and female-only conversations like that's they want to mix everything up they want to blend everything up always and and i think that's part of that fiat culture and so if, 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 if we're trying to fix that, if we're recognizing that as a problem, then yeah, I think we do need, you know, we need to accept that that's actually okay and probably healthy, but obviously, you know, also it can't be only that because you have, you have a lot of men going their own way and so on. And uh, a lot of women not having children and not getting married and, and also going their own way. And uh, that's just kind of a tragedy, right? Like, it's also like a straight path towards the end of the world, you know, like if people stop reproducing, we're fucked. You know, it's it's game over. So, um, you know, there's there's a dance there, but uh, I think it's I think it it's important to to um, you know find that balance, right? Um, all right. Well, hey, listen, I think it's been a fantastic conversation. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, um, or anything that you'd like to promote or or, or mention? Sorry, I was uh, retweeting something <laughs> that you just posted. So, yeah, um, Katie the Russian on Twitter, planbpassport.com is still my business. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what to promote. I promote a, a happy lifestyle. Just, just make sure to put effort into things that will make your perfect life become true. And, uh, and that's about it. That's the message. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. It was great catching up. Um, I hope uh, you lean into this lifestyle um, um, 
storytelling. I think people want, need to hear this, and I hope uh, I hope they want to hear it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's great talking to you again. I'm I'm, I'm probably gonna be in Texas this uh, winter, so uh, I'll hit you up uh, when I'm in town. Maybe we can uh, we can eat some ribs or whatever. Absolutely, would love that. Thanks a lot for inviting me here today. I had fun. Awesome, awesome. Happy to hear that.